For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Sports Yak Podcast is powered by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events are available at und.com slash buy tickets. Also by Pyramid Equipment. Be prepared this winter season by checking the condition of your snow removal equipment. Pyramid Equipment is a locally owned business in Rolling Prairie, Indiana that sells, services, and installs residential and commercial grade snow plows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid Equipment is your trusted dealer of Meyer and Snow Dog products. Old man winners ready. Are you? Service discount for military, fire, and police available. Call 800-833-2591 or find them on the web at PyramidEquipmentInc.com. And now, here we go, maniacs. From South Bend, Indiana, you know where that's at. I don't. It's Sports Yak with Corey Mann and Chuck Freeby. I'm the booth announcer, Jim Shorts. That's good. And welcome to episode 162 of the Sports Yet. It's the Keith Hernandez episode. Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. Here's how I know Keith Hernandez. Seinfeld. Exactly. But Keith Hernandez... First of all, hit 162 home runs in his big league career, hence episode number 162. And secondly, 40 years ago today, shared the National League Most Valuable Player Award with Willie Stargell. And loved Elaine, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, yes, he had a thing for Elaine. <laughs> Jerry, though, had a man crush on Keith Hernandez and was going to help him move. Of course, Newman, I despise <laughs> Keith Hernandez. <laughs> Well, why don't you introduce us to our guest? It's a, a non-typical Wednesday as we enter the conversation cul-de-sac on this episode. We are pleased to join, or have joined us, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Pete has been a longtime writer of Notre Dame events, Notre Dame football primarily through Irish Illustrated, which he helped co-found, and then about a year ago moved over to this thing called The Athletic, which I got to tell you, I really enjoy it. Not just your stuff, but uh, the fact that there's still a place for some some long-form journalism, a place where I can go and I can find things on the teams that I want to read about, but as well, you know, if I want a national scene or or if a Notre Dame opponent is coming in and I want to read stuff from their side of things, I can do that. How why did you make that switch? Uh I think a lot of the things you talked about, you know, I, I'd been covering Notre Dame. This is my 19th season on the beat. And for 17 of them, it was very day to day. Second team middle linebacker is now second team outside linebacker. Oh, I got to do a story on that in the next 10 minutes. Uh, and, you know, the athletic is much more interested in, okay, find the best stories and take your time and just really pull some threads on that. Like today, I have a story on a, a guy named Brian Duffy, who's an active Navy SEAL, who walked onto the football team in March um, due to an eligibility issue, wasn't able to actually play. Um, now he's doing some work with the strength and conditioning staff. He'll present the colors on Saturday for the Navy game. And I've been working on that story for a couple months. Um, and so to be able to do stuff like that, who, that's outside of just the day-to-day X's and O's, kind of transactional news. Right. Um you know, recruiting all that stuff is very transactional. You just you you could cut and paste the names of the players and then move on to the next one and do the same story. It felt like so. Uh, the athletic has just been uh, it's been I think a breath of fresh air for me, and I think the the subscriber numbers that we're at right now with over six hundred thousand publicly that's the number that they're they have out there. Like it's sort of uh, heartening to see that there was there was a market for this. There there yeah. were people who wanted. The, what it felt like to get Sports Illustrated in 1991 um, on the internet, where everything is free. Uh, so it's it's been an awesome place to work. I 
I tell everybody this. It's the best job that I will ever have. Who do you report to? Uh, so I have a I have an editor who uh, just happens to live in New York. You know, could live anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then, but the the company headquarters are in San Francisco. It's very much sort of a a venture capital uh, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley type of place. And so it's it's kind of fast moving. They like to try stuff, which is kind of antithetical to the media today. It's much you know conservative and like. Ooh, if that doesn't work, we can't do it. They they have enough sort of resources to be like, go out and try to do cool stuff. Um, like on the bye week, I went out and worked on a story on Brady Quinn in California. I went down to see a kid named Tyler Buckner, who's a quarterback, who will be at Notre Dame in a couple of years, spent some time with him. Um, those are kind of the things I wouldn't be able to do in the past. Uh, and actually, one of the co-founders is Adam Hansman, and he's a Notre Dame graduate as well. Oh. So. There's uh, quite a bit of Notre Dame connections around the place as well, just sort of by chance. Uh, I happen to be one of them now. There you go. Here's my question for you, Pete. If I'm going to go find a new job, I have to put together a, an on-air resume air check. Do you send former pieces to these people? Here's what I can do. Here's what I've done. Here's what got response from what I've written. How do you? How do you? How, how did that work when you applied? Uh, well, they. They came after. They sort of sought me out. Okay. Um, so their their sort of approach to hiring is, I mean, every story that you file is essentially like your resume, right? You have a public resume that's evolving every, every time you write something, good or bad. Um, and you know, having covered Notre Dame for seventeen years, I think they were looking for somebody who had some experience, um, somebody they felt like was interested in covering Notre Dame in the in sort of a longer form, more interesting format. Um, and they reached out to me, I want to say it's spring of 2018. I remember this was going on during spring practice, I think, when they, they reached out to me first. And, and I had some colleagues who had covered Notre Dame, um, who had gone on to you know, Sports Illustrator, the Chicago Tribune, or ESPN, um, you know, and some of the tumult at those places uh, had latched on the athletic a year before they reached out to me. So I, I felt like I had a good understanding of like, okay, if this works, it's an awesome place to work. Um, and you know, my big concern was like, all right, you're starting a internet publication. You're asking people to pay to read. Um, how is that going to go? But uh, the, their numbers and the feedback that I've got have been really positive. But they they reached out to me um, as mostly because I think there were people working at the Athletic who had been colleagues of mine on the Notre Dame beat in the past. So it wasn't like they're Pete Sampson. Tell us more about you. They they sort of knew what they were going to get. Uh, being a co-founder of Irish Illustrated, mm-hmm. are you doing stuff now at the Athletic that you couldn't do at your own? Pay- you 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 kind of came alive when you talked about what you get to do yeah. now. Did were you not doing that previously? Uh, some of it I was, but it was just sort of not emphasized there. Okay, um, you know, Irish Illustrated is great at the day to day recruiting updates, uh, team updates, roster news, position switches, everything Brian Kelly said. I mean, they're they're a place that really thrives on having ten to twelve new content pieces a day, okay. uh, in addition to a message board, and that's great for some people. That personally, it's not how I like to consume media. Uh, I would rather read a couple really good things um, that are longer form and had, had taken some time, opposed to the what you can get on Twitter, but just five hundred characters instead of two hundred eighty. Um, and so I was. After doing it one way for 17 years, I wanted to try, like, full-on, let's do this another way. Like, I really uh, have always enjoyed sort of longer-form feature-type storytelling, um, and I could do that and did do a bunch of that at Irish Illustrated, but uh, to be able to do this on more of a national level now and um, have that be my only focus uh, in a lot of ways was kind of like a creative... Creative refresher is probably the best way to put it. Okay. But you appear to still have a good relationship with those guys. I mean, O'Malley <laughs> yeah. and Priester still talk to you yes. at the press conferences. Right. They, we still sit in the same areas, yes. and we still go out to dinner on Fridays when we can. And like, nice. I still do. You know, we we started a podcast, Irish Illustrated Insider. I still do that with them. Um, the Athletic was cool with me keeping up with that. Uh, I do an, a podcast with the Athletic now the called Shamrock. The Shamrock with Matt Fortuna, who is uh, kind of one of those former colleagues who. Covered Notre Dame for ESPN uh, for, I want to say, four or five years. So we knew each other really well. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's, it, I mean, that was the biggest reason not to do it was I really enjoyed working with Tim and Tim. Um, but the biggest reason to do it was just like I had a chance to sort of be creative in a way that, it, um, you know, was not the emphasis at 24-7 or Rivals because they're, 
their business model is just built a little bit differently. Now that we've fleshed out all this inside stuff, <laughs> let, let's get to some of the stuff that the listeners will care about here. Um, Notre Dame football this year, two losses, so they are not in the college football playoff picture. They're barely in the New Year's Six picture, aren't they? Yeah, that's uh, you look over since the New Year's Six became a thing five years ago. I think there were only five teams that finished with ten wins and did not make it. And those teams are like Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. They're not the brand of Notre Dame, but just the way that the season has shaken out. Uh, particularly Alabama losing over the weekend did not help. Um, there's a lack of spots. And it's gonna. It's very difficult when you look at who plays who the rest of the way to see how Notre Dame is going to get up to 10th, which is probably what it's going to take for them to make right. it um, based on some of the bowl contracts. So it's it's looking very heavy camping world bowl uh, on December 28th in Orlando, which my kids will, will be thrilled about. Um, I'm fine because I'm down yeah. that way that time of year yeah. too. <laughs> Hopefully the weather will be better than it was two years ago when they yeah, were down there. But um, – yeah, it's just there's just a lack of availability um, and too many too many teams for too few spots when it comes to the New Year's Six. You pointed out in one of your articles this week, and it's something we've talked about on Countdown to Kickoff too. A lot of people expected this team to go ten and two this <laughs> year. They're going to probably go ten and two, and yet somewhere between preseason and now. 10 and two went from the expectation to this disappointment for a a sizable segment of the Notre Dame fandom. It's it's strange um, when you just sort of take a a, a very cold view of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, how they were depantsed at Michigan, right? Really makes it difficult, I think, for people to be like, "Yeah, I'm fine with ten and two. Because then you're saying, "Yeah, I'm fine with getting your butt handed to you in Ann Arbor and whatever that game plan was." Um, but yeah, you're right. It's I mean, it's even the I was looking at. You know they're averaging thirty four point two points a game offensively, which would match the Kelly era high of twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone that feels like this offense is the highest scoring of the Kelly era, uh, even though statistically it is. So it's it's a strange uh, way to process Notre Dame season because it's sort of exactly what everyone expected, yet a disappointment all at the same time. Well, it is and it isn't, because I think, quite frankly, most of us expected the running game to be much more diverse and explosive than what it has been, because we expected Jafar Armstrong was going to be Dexter Williams. Yeah, And Jafar Armstrong hasn't even come close to being Dexter Williams, mainly because of injuries, we believe. Tony Jones somewhat surprising in his productivity over a three-game stretch. In a good way. Right, but kind of comes and goes. And there just hasn't been any kind of consistent flow to this offense. I guess the the two mainstays to the offense have been Claypool and Komet. Yeah, there's no question. I think that one of the things that uh, I a lot of people, including myself, overrated at the beginning of the season was how much material they had at the skill positions on mm-hmm. offense. I thought Jafar Armstrong would be a lot better. Um, you know, he's got the the abdominal injury. It does not look like the fluid athlete that we saw in camp or even in spring. So that's there's just I don't think he's maybe he won't be back from that all year. Uh, I don't know how you return from tearing an abdominal muscle. Right. Um, that seems complicated. It but, sounds like it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Chris Fink. Now we're finding out has been maybe a lot more banged up when we thought. What slows down a, a twitchy fast player? Bad ankles, shoulders, all that stuff. He's had that. Uh, but then, yeah, it's it's kind of Claypool and Komet. Those are really the only two guys offensively that you would look at and be like, yeah, that, that guy scares you. That's a guy you have to game plan around. Everyone else just sort of feels above average. Uh, and even Brian Kelly said this on his radio show on Thursday of last week when somebody asked about team speed. Uh, rarely will he go down this path. But he's like, you know what? We're just kind of above average right now when, yep. it, when it's compared to the other elite teams. And that's... That's how Notre Dame football is judged. Like, no, I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of people did not care what happened at Duke um, or what happened at Virginia Tech. It was just like you lost to Michigan and lost to Georgia. Those are the only two games that I care about. And uh, for that's sort of why I think this season is, while expected, um, has been I think sort of unpalatable for some people because they just in the big spots the offense did not deliver at all. Yet, who in their right mind expected them to win at Georgia based on what you've seen before? 
it, it all revolves around the Michigan game. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you said whatever that game plan was. Have you been able to <laughs> have you been able to put your finger? I mean, my goodness, they've got two weeks to get ready for a team that is viewed as, if not their biggest rival on the schedule, the second biggest rival, and they came out with the intensity of this counter. It was. Uh, I have not been able to get to the bottom of what the heck were you doing. Um, I feel like that is a. Those are interviews to be had over beers in December with people, yeah. uh, and I'm very eager to have those beers with those people <laughs> to see what the heck happened because it was. I mean, Brian Kelly was, I think, eleven and one coming off a bye at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, the last, the only loss was that huge uh, egg against USC in 2011. Um, I don't understand it at all because it looked like they hadn't practiced in a month, and yeah. it, it also looked like they hadn't checked the weather report. Um, so it's just. It's hard to make sense of what happened there because it was, it, it goes to the head coach. I mean, it, and I, I think that I was, I've sort of said this on radio shows when people ask about Ian Book, he got way too much heat for the Michigan game as if he decided, you know what, let's throw it forty times. How yeah. about that? That's what I want to do. Right. Um, he didn't come up with that game plan. He didn't play well, but nobody played well, and. That in, that included the game plans that were put together by the staff. Well, that's the thing. One team could run the ball yeah. in the rain that day, and that team was not Notre Dame. Right. And if Notre Dame had run the ball that well, then Ian Book doesn't have to throw it 40 times, and it becomes a whole different thing. The, the other thing I remember about that press conference before the Michigan game, the Kelly Presser on Monday, he had made a remark, Pete, where he talked about the players coming back on Sunday, and some of them grumped actually kind of grumbling about having a practice that Sunday. And I it, that just, as that game unfolded, I kind of replayed that in my head, mm. and I thought, you know, they had this time off that they gave them, four days uh, away from football, and you just wonder what happened in those four days that kind of, change the atmosphere around this team it's like the worst bye week that Notre Dame could have ever had yeah and I guess I would push back against the notion that like they should have been on campus practicing the whole time no 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 I'm not saying yeah I've had people to be like oh you know the players got away and they you know went out in Chicago or went down to Atlanta what like they need a break um that's fine but the the idea that they would come back and begrudgingly return to campus I thought was bizarre um did that does that explain everything? I mean, one like Michigan is now playing really well. I mean, there it's not the Michigan that uh, kind of muddled around against Middle Tennessee or, or almost Iowa. lost to Army yeah. uh, or was unwatchable against Army. It's whatever happened to them in the second half of Penn State is now something that has been replicated the rest of the season. Maybe similar to what's happening in Virginia Tech. They got housed by Duke at home and then sort of found themselves and now they're kind of on a roll, including almost winning at Notre Dame. So I don't. I really want to get to the bottom of what happened at Michigan because it's just, it's kind of an, I hate to say unforgivable, but in a lot of ways, in in year, in year ten to like not have your finger on the pulse of your team and have that performance is is pretty rough. That's uh that sounds like an athletic article yeah, that you are yeah. already formulating. Yeah, because you're going to get to air that bad boy out mm-hmm. in your time of covering Notre Dame football, five coaching regimes. What was the toughest transition between coaches that you were covering? Uh, without question, it was the uh, Davy O'Leary Willingham uh, <laughs> situation because I was 24 years old and didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, so thank God there wasn't like social media back then where you felt like you had to have an update every 20 minutes. Just I, it was just so strange. It, it made no sense. Like I couldn't understand what was happening. I did. I was not familiar with Notre Dame. Uh, back then, um, so that was that was really tough. Um, you know, the the Weiss to Kelly was we kind of all knew Weiss was getting fired, and we all knew Kelly was going to be the guy. That, so that was a little bit simpler. But um, that that for the first few years I was here, I think I was averaging like a new coach, a new head coach every every season and a half. Um, so I think maybe I was and Notre Dame was overdue for a little uh, kind of longer run of stability. Sounds like Tom Noy talking about basketball when he <laughs> took over that beat. Um, yeah, Weiss to Kelly reminded me a lot, and, and 
unfortunately for me, I'm much older than you, so I was around uh, for the Faust to Holtz transition, which was about the worst kept secret in the history of Notre Dame. Because once Jerry Faust fell on the sword on that Tuesday, I think by Tuesday afternoon, Lou Holtz was hired, and he was actually presented on a Wednesday. Can you imagine the the Notre Dame coach leaves and 24 hours later, oh, we have somebody new. Yeah. I mean, that's just not going to happen anymore. No, that's a, it's a, maybe a little bit too quick to, to remarry after a divorce. It's like, it's like, oh, I found somebody else. Yeah. Brian Kelly, uh, talk about the relationship that you've developed. And, and all of us kind of have this relationship from afar. From afar Brian is a good Kelly. way to put it. Uh, because he strikes me, Pete, as somebody who studied politics and never lost it. No, he he definitely presents himself um, as sort of like friendly buddy buddy, like you know, quippy. Um, you know, tries to tell jokes in press conferences that sometimes work and often do not. More often yeah. than not, they don't. <laughs> um, but it's. It's one of those things. This is like a story that I would love to do, and I've been trying to to work on. It's just like, who is Brian Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like professionally irresponsible that it's your ten, and I can't give you a good answer about it. Um, like, if you cover somebody for that long, you should really have a, an idea of like this is what makes this guy tick. Um, I'm not sure any of us in the media actually have an answer for that, which is strange. Well, it, it is strange because. You you see all these different sides. You see the Brian Kelly that that donates money to help a, a breast cancer center in town. You also know that there's the Brian Kelly that was so unapproachable that Declan Sullivan wound up on a scissor lift and died. Mm-hmm. And I I have found it difficult for ten years to marry those two, which are in the same person. Yeah, it's. I mean, you talk to assistant coaches about what it's like to work for him. Um, he is really tough on Saturdays. Um, you know, the, the coaching locker room after games when they lose is brutal. However, that he is also like, shouldn't the offensive staff have the day off, um, you know, in the off season? Like, he is encouraging the coaches to give the assistants more time. Um, you see uh, Clark Lee and Chip Long in particular, they have young kids. You see them around the facility a lot. Right. Um, you know, Brian Polian has a son who you know, was going to a school outside of the community here. And the drop-off day was, I think, the, the day of the first meeting in August this year for training camp. And, you know, he reaches out to Kelly and is like, I, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, what are you – Kelly's like, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. Like, we'll see you later. It's, yeah. it's totally fine. Um, so that part of him, I think, is – people don't really understand that. I think that Notre Dame itself would – be well served if they allowed us to sort of understand that part of it. And that's kind of one of those things where I've been trying to work with them to be like, you know, there's a perception of your head coach that's one thing. It's pretty negative. That that could change if if he would open up and we would have a chance to get to know him a little bit differently. Honestly, since Lou Holtz, when was there a perception of the head coach of the University of Notre Dame that wasn't somewhat negative? Yeah, it's um, that's probably a good way to put it. But, I mean – my interactions with Brian Kelly one-on-one have been very limited. Um, mm-hmm. Most, you know, a bunch of interviews, well, not a bunch, but some interviews over the years. Uh, and then I ran into him at a high school football game where I went down to see a, a, a prospect play and he was there. And we talked for 45 minutes about, you know, how he, how he runs a program and golf and like kids and stuff. And he's a totally normal dude. I mean, he comes, a, when you're with him one-on-one, he comes across as a guy that you would totally go out and have a beer with or, you know, whiskey with or something like that. And, but, you know, you you get them in front of a lectern or a podium or whatever. And it just, that, that sort of interpersonal connectedness, it just, it becomes way more polished to the point where you're like, okay, maybe I don't really know what's, what's going on with you. Um, it's, I would, my, one of my dream stories is like on a Saturday, I meet him at the office whenever he shows up at six in the morning and let's just, let's just have a day on the clock with Brian Kelly. Like what is yeah, this dude about? That would be a great story. I would love to tell it. I think that Brian, Brian Kelly for, he must be like, what do you want to do? Um, at the end of the day, it would, it would come off as like, oh yeah, you're a human being, not a character. And I think a lot of times he's sort of seen as a character and that's, that's, that's not great media management. 
One of the Irish faithful been at their most negative vocally during your time. Mm. Like uh, just either feedback from articles or just the talk where it was a fevered pitch. Yeah, I mean, Michigan this year is recency <laughs> bias, but that was pretty bad. Um, that's a good question. I, You know, because I don't think that like the Clemson or Alabama games were that bad in terms of the reaction. Uh, and, you know, when the Weiss – when the wheels were coming off with Charlie Weiss, people sort of knew it. Um, there wasn't an expectation that it should be any different at that point because I think people just knew the, the team wasn't very good and the coaching staff was in over their heads. Um, but I, would, I don't know, like, probably like – there's got to be a better example than Michigan this year, um, and I'm saying it only because it's fresh. But, man, that was really bad. That That was one of those times where people were like, that's it. I am out. Uh, like, I don't want to watch the rest of the season, and very rarely do you run into that, um, even when the team's bad. Um, you know, it's like when you have – when your expectations are not met that poorly. You know, the Miami game a couple years ago, it was kind of one of the first times something like that had happened. So people were like, whoa, I'm just shocked. Um, this was more of you sucked me back in, and then you play like that, and now I am out. I never want to talk to you again. It was like – like. There was there was sort of a I'm breaking up with Notre Dame football at least for the next two months um, after the Michigan game this year. Don't you find though that this fan base has this unrealistic expectation? And I realize every fan base sure. has an unrealistic expectation of its team, uh, but this one I think more so than others because they live in the past and they live in the era when Notre Dame was winning national championships at least once a decade. Yeah, that's. It's tough. I mean, it's a it's a burden, and it's it's something that uh, keeps Notre Dame as Notre Dame. But mm-hmm. that's not a there's there's some double edged swordness to that. So, it you know how do you manage that if you're Notre Dame? Not really sure if there is a way to manage that because um, you wanna you wanna lean into your history and tradition. Um, you know they don't they don't shy away from that here, nor should they. Uh, but it definitely cranks up the fan base sometimes when I think people think that it's, you know, I think Jack Swarbrick said this in 2016 and it really rubbed people the wrong way. Cause at that point you could say anything and it would rub people the wrong way that it's harder to win now than it was in 1988. But that's true. It's absolutely true. It's true. But so. don't you think that in general, he tends to rub people the wrong way. Are you talking about the athletic director? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, you know, he's, he is an attorney and, <laughs> Uh, you were talking about Brian no, Kelly. You're married Brian, to one, so I be am. careful. Um, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Kelly is a politician. I think you're like, ah, I don't really have a sense of you. With Jack Swarbrick is an attorney, and you definitely pick that up spending time with him. So yeah. it's you know he's very careful with what he says. Uh, and then when he says missteps or says something that is like overly cold, um, that definitely rubs people the wrong way. Sure. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, this was a question that we mulled about last night for Countdown to Kickoff. We're still not sure we're going to make a poll question out of it or not, but I'll bounce it off of you. Who's the MVP of this Notre Dame team this year? Uh, it's easy to say the quarterback since he cut, touches the ball the most. but I wouldn't, though. I wouldn't either. No. I, I think I would go – I think I'd have to go with Claypool. Um, he's the guy that is sort of – Because he's the only – yeah, go kind up. of deep threat yeah. you have. Yeah, just it's the we need we need something to happen. Throw it to eighty three. Defensively, I'm not sure anybody has played. You know, I thought Alohi Gilman has had a good season, but I don't think he built on last season. What like about Asmar Belong? I think he's had a good season, but I I feel like he's sort of it's like exceeding expectations that weren't that high to begin with. Right. Um, whereas Alohi's expectations were like. You know, could you be an All American? No, but he's a really good college player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Khalid Kareem, I think, has had a good season. You know, his statistics are not amazing, but part of that is they run away from. Yeah. Uh, so, I Claypool would be the guy that would get my vote today if Cole Komet goes out and has thirty five catches in the next three weeks. Then he would probably be my guy. Sure. Uh, but Cle- you know, beyond Claypool, it's. Well, it's hard to find candidates. That's the thing. That receiving core next year without Claypool just looks dismal. It's going to be, um, you know, it's odd because the staff is privately very optimistic about what they do have with the younger guys. But 
uh, you know, Braden Lindsay is kind of out in the wilderness all of a sudden. Um, you know, Kevin Austin is, can he be eligible to play? Um, you know, Jordan Johnson is a freshman they have coming in that they, they have high hopes for, but they've had high hopes for freshmen before. So that's, um, I don't know the the receiver group without Claypool it could be pretty rough next year. Uh, but you know, Komet said with interviews yesterday that he's coming back. So and you broke on Twitter. We will we'll see if that holds. Um, but <laughs> he cer- he certainly you know I tried to press him a little bit and he's like no it's like kind of all it was always my expectation to come back like I, I'm not thinking about that at all. So we'll see if they have Komet they should be fine. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, losing Claypool is going to be a big big deal. So uh, when football's over, is it, is it ever really over? No, it is Never. not. Are you covering basketball and hockey and all that as well for the athletic? I am not. Um, I when I started, I asked like, "Do you want me to cover basketball?" And they said, "Well, maybe if they're twenty and one, um, you know, in top five in the country, then we would have you do so, do some basketball stuff." That obviously has not worked out. Um, football is year round. I mean, aside from like the season and then spring practice. There's also some recruiting type stuff, and as much as I don't do the day to day, I like to get out and actually visit the kids to sort of see what they're about. Um, so that's sort of what I'll, I'll right now. I'm hopeful to go down to Virginia in December to spend some time with Chris Tyree, who's like a five star running back that they have coming in next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kinds of stories are are what I'll be working on, and then also just kind of catching up on sleep. So it's um, <laughs> I I never have felt. Sometimes in the last week of July, I'll be like, all right, I'm kind of running out of stuff here. Um, but it takes a long time to sort of empty the notebook of things that you've been building up over the season to uh, to get to the point where like, okay, I'm ready for the next season to start. When you started at Notre Dame, there wasn't Twitter. No. Uh, there wasn't Facebook. I'm looking at your account right now. 46,000 followers are watching your uh, tweets and whatnot. How has that changed and how do you use it? For how do you balance that, Pete, with your profession? Uh, it's difficult uh, because it's a huge time suck. Um, once you get into social media, I, I also it's an amazing way to reach people as well. Because um, there's no getting away from that. I you know it's a, I think it's a good advertising platform for your work. Um, I also think it's a great way for people to sort of get to know who you are if you're willing to kind of open up. I don't. I tweet about my kids sometimes. Um, I've sort of taken up to – I got a, adopted a dog a couple weeks ago that I'm sort of joking that she's the comfort animal for my uh, Twitter account. So she might get a bunch of photos posted on Saturday afternoon against Navy. <laughs> um, so it's – I mean, I, I have fun with it. It's like – I think in my bio it's like this is this is supposed to be fun. Um, people get way too serious on social media. I try to not be one of those people. Um, so I, it's um, – I try to, basically it's just like I try to have fun with it. Um, it's a good way to let people know about your stories. It's a good way to have people converse, and you can actually get in conversations with people and sort of explain, you know, what you're doing as a journalist as well. Because I, I don't think there's a, a great understanding of like, okay, this is actually how I'm going about my job. So, uh, but I think probably most importantly, it's a good way to direct people to the athletics so they can uh, so they can subscribe, and I can continue to pay my mortgage. Proud subscriber, thank you. Although he twisted my arm yeah. pretty hard there. <laughs> well, I I thought you would want to know about these kinds well. of things. Yeah. You pitched it well. Uh, how do you see this game Saturday against Navy? Uh, a trip to the dentist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, you know one of my colleagues said like Notre Dame Navy is always a trip to the dentist, and when you get there, you f- you find out like was I flossing or not. Um, I have a lot of faith in Clark Lee that he will have been flossing, um, that they that they will be okay. But I do think this is a much better Navy team than what they've seen the last couple of years. Defensively, definitely. Yeah, and I think people, fans in particular, just they can't get over the fact that Notre Dame shouldn't roll Navy um, because, again, it was, it was easy to do in 1988. It's not. Yes. It has not been easy to do for 10 years. Although, actually, in 88, that was one of their yeah. tougher games. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, if you thought Virginia Tech was a difficult game, and it was, uh, this is going to be right up there. I, I think it goes down to maybe the final drive. That's happened. Better Notre Dame teams have gone down to the final drive with Navy, um, against worse Navy teams. So that's, 
And a, Ken Niamatololo knows what he's doing over there, too. Yeah. You know, one of the things I noticed with Brian Kelly is, like, in 2010, he called him Coach Ken. Yeah. And then after that game, it was Coach Niamatololo. Well, I, I think you pointed this out maybe in the mailbag yesterday, where there's definitely far more respect from Brian Kelly now oh, yeah. for Ken Niamatololo than there was before. Before, it's like, you're the coach at Navy. No, you're the coach that's kicked my butt three times. Yeah. Yeah, I think after that first season, I was like, okay, we need to rethink everything. This isn't just playing Bowling Green but running yeah. the option anymore. So um, I give them credit for finding solutions. Uh, and, I, you know, one thing that you don't really hear is like, oh, Notre Dame plays Navy. Like, what a joke. No. Like, people get it outside of this sort of bubble that we're in here, um, that Notre Dame Navy is, is not supposed to be 50 to 10 um, the way that it was 20 years ago. So – it's um, I expect this game. Malcolm Perry, their their quarterback, is a really dynamic runner. I think that Clark Lee will have enough solutions, but Navy's, you know, if Navy doesn't score twenty one points, I'd be shocked. Uh, oh yeah, but you know, Notre Dame offensively is that a unit that you're betting on right now? Probably well, not. And the other thing with two starters injured on defense, uh, Julian Acora and Jack Lamb, it puts into question. I think they've got some depth at the defensive end. I'm not really as worried about replacing a Quora as I am, well, no. who comes in at linebacker because your linebackers against an option team really have to get the job done. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately why I feel probably better about the outcome is because Clark Lee coaches the linebackers. Right. And I think he is the best teacher on Notre Dame's coaching staff. Well, yeah, he's – outstanding and and i love the piece that you did on him earlier this year talking about him going down talking to vanderbilt's oh, baseball yeah. coach learning from a guy that's won championships okay how do i establish that championship mentality within my defensive unit you mentioned recruiting earlier uh we started with newman talking about how he loathes keith hernandez <laughs> i loathe recruiting i really do uh i used to like it and then it's just become this this monster in the room mm -hmm. how do you feel about it i think there are a lot of people that feel like notre dame home games are actually just stages for recruits mm -hmm. um that the recruiting is actually more important than the game <laughs> that is insane <laughs> to me um as i'm sure it is insane to you it's i mean it's over it's overdone it fills a vacuum in the off season you, you're asking sort of about like what do you do in the off season like there are you know, the season's three months, but then the recruiting season is the other nine. Um, so it, it's out of balance in terms of what's most important. Uh, I I went out to San Diego on the bye week and spent some time with Tyler Buckner, his quarterback, and like, okay, what makes this kid tick? Why is this kid different? You know, learning about his connection to Manti Teo. That kind of recruiting story I really like to do. Right. Um, the is he a three-star or four-star? Is he a four-star or five-star? What's your top five? You know, are you committing or are you decommitting or are you recommitting? That kind of stuff I don't I don't have a lot of patience for anymore. Um, so that, that that's where I think recruiting, and it's like the kids know it. I mean, the kids know that there are adults that are hanging on their every tweet uh, that, you know, they commit, recommit, decommit, um, flip all over the place. That that sort of like killed my interest in recruiting and the pot of gold that gets sent to them with all yeah. these letters. Yeah, and like and in a lot of ways, Notre Dame does a lot, does less of that than other schools. I mean, there are other schools where if a top prospect walks into your football facility, everyone stands up from their desk, walks out to the entry, and starts applauding. Yeah, and Notre Dame does not do that, but you know they do the pot of gold and like you know the recruiting sort of seminars and breakfasts and all that stuff and like make these kids feel like they're they're a million bucks i get that but um yeah recruiting is it's it's the lifeblood of a program oh, of and, and yet is still like has been um overrated and it's, it's overcovered and like the importance of it is just sort of out of whack other than travel which annoys everybody <laughs> what's the most annoying part of your job uh i mean night games <laughs> night games are really bad <laughs> It makes those podcasts with Fortuna oh, very interesting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we've had some 2 a.m. <sighs> on the couch. Like, the Michigan one was particularly bad because <laughs> I was sick on top of it being 2 in the morning. Um, that's t I would say that's the night games are now the worst. Like, before, when I was in Irish Illustrated and everything was a big deal all the time, 
I mean, I remember being out for um, dinner with my wife on our anniversary and being like, hey, Grant Blankenship committed. Can you do something on this? And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like this, I just, I can't keep living like this. Um, so in my old life, being at the whim of teenagers was the worst part of it. Um, the athletic allows the worst part of it to be night games, which I can deal with. Um, and there, and now we're, we've come out the other side of that because I don't count Stanford as a night game, even if it kicks off at 5 p.m. Pacific. Sometimes in my actual life, being at the whim of teenagers is annoying, but that's... <laughs> that's I got a couple <laughs> years of my real life before I get there. When did the journalism bug bite, Pete? Was it something that happened in life? Was it a newspaper article? Was it a, a teacher that, you know, what, what was it? Uh, growing up, I knew that I was good at writing and bad at sports. So okay. I wasn't going to play them uh, beyond high school. So I, I thought, well, if you can do these two things together. I didn't know what that meant getting into. I went to DePaul University for college. and He's a tiger. I am. Thank you. Where's Where's home base for you? Where'd you grow I up? I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So oh. I'm Midwest my whole life. Um Went to DePauw, and it was sort of a you know sort of one of those student fair nights early in the year. Mm-hmm. Walked into the newspaper office like, "Hey, I want to I want to do this. I want to do I want to do sports writing." And they're like, "It's a small school." So they're like, "Great, you want to cover the football team? Awesome!" Uh, so I did that, and then the winter I was like, oh, "This is fun. I want to keep doing this. You want to cover the basketball team? Great, I'll do that." Um, and like Brad Stevens was actually the sixth man on the first basketball team that I covered. Wow. Um, he was a year older than me in, in school. And uh, so I was just like, I enjoyed doing it. Um, it seemed like I was kind of good at it based on the feedback that I was getting. And so I just tried to stick with it. I've, you know, you mentioned sort of the job path, the way the how messed up media is uh, really since I was in school. I, mean, I remember doing an internship after college and, Clearly, the newspaper industry was starting to decline at that point. Uh, I think I've, ver- I've been very fortunate and blessed to sort of be in the right place at the right time uh, for a lot of these opportunities. And you know, then I've had some good mentors along the way to help me take advantage of them. But um, I always, I always knew that I enjoyed writing, and my teachers seemed to think that I was good at it. So I wanted to see, like, well, I like sports. So how can I put these two things together? Follow up question. How do you know today, Pete, that you're doing a good job? Like, how do you know? Is it the feedback? Is it an editor going pat on the back? How do you know? Um, it's, I mean, it's all those things. You know, at The Athletic, it's, you know, are people subscribing to read your work or not? Um, okay. So far, the answer has been yes. Um, but that was that's how it was at Irish Illustrated as well, um, whereas even more for sort of an eat-what-you-kill place. Um, you know, if people are coming to your site, if they're subscribing, if they're, they're paying for your content, that's you know you're doing a good job that way. Um, you know, I, now I have a, a collection of editors who also you know give you that feedback. You know, the, the people that I work with at the, at the Athletic who are you know, national writers. You know, it's Andy Staples or Bruce Feldman or Stu Mandel. Like, I'll get feedback from them sometimes on the work that I'm doing. And then, I mean, some of it is just like, at this point, I've been doing it long enough. When I file a story, I I have some enough confidence in myself as neurotic as writers are that like that was good. Like nice story on Brian Duffy, the Navy SEAL today. When I felt it, I'm like, this is a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I know people will like this, and you you sort of, there you still run into some issues where you're like, I thought that was good, and then readers were like, that was garbage. Um, and then you file some stuff, you're like, eh, I don't really, that wasn't that great. And then people are like, amazing. Yeah. So that happens sometimes too. Um, but for the most part, you know, after. 19 years you sort of know like what's good and what's not um and the athletic has sort of let me press the push the boundaries of all right maybe there's something better out there maybe there's a better story to tell than Cole Komet coming back or like what it's like to defend the triple option I mean those are important things because it's going to depend it's going to probably determine what happens on Saturday but uh in terms of finding other stories to do it's um kind of forced me to be more creative and think outside of just Here's what the press conferences are. Here's what's happened in the games. Here's what happens when I watch the tape back um, to find different stories to tell. Why the obsession with European football? Uh, I grew up playing soccer. Okay. And so that was part of it. And I went to, I remember the World Cup was here in 94. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to the game at the Silverdome in Pontiac uh, with my family. Uh, it was United States, Switzerland. It was 1-1. And I just thought, like, this was awesome. And then, uh, then it sort of went away. Like I, I've not been obsessed with soccer my whole life. I played it growing up, but then it just, it's very hard to consume 
until NBC got the Premier League contract, I think four years ago yep. now. Uh, and then it started to be treated like ESPN or NBC or CBS would treat American sports. Uh, and then every game was on. And then they had pregame shows and postgame. And um, there's a podcast called The Men in Blazers that I think is like, for me, that's for how I cover Notre Dame. Like those those guys are like my spirit animals of like, <laughs> it's it, they're passionate about it, but not too serious about it. It's right. funny. Um, that's so it, I started following Liverpool probably about 10 years ago um, when you could maybe watch a couple matches every other month because Fox soccer wasn't showing a whole lot. Um, and then the World Cup would come around, I'd get really into that. Um, but now that you can you know, partake of Liverpool even in your own backyard when they play in Notre Dame in the summer, um, I'm full-on obsessed with that. And that, you know, I cover Notre Dame. I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I don't know how you could cover Notre Dame in detail every day and still have the fan experience. Um, right. You probably shouldn't. No, but, you shouldn't. Yeah, there are people that do that it. Do. But. Exactly. But like Liverpool is my outlet where I can scream at my TV and um, I watched their match in the airport uh, of Charlotte last week. And, and, you know, I'm trying not to scream as they're scoring against Manchester City. But um, that's that's fun. Like that's a it's a fun fan outlet for me. Um, and the matches are two hours. They're in the morning. Yeah. My kids don't bother me, <laughs> and there's no really commercials. Stop and start. It's just on. Yeah. Um, so my next, I, I really want to get over to England sometime to see it in person, but not been able to uh, schedule that yet. And then you were big into Game of Thrones, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, of course. <laughs> well, uh, no, yeah. not of course, because I didn't you guys care were at all. Seinfeld references at the start of the show. Yeah. Um, well, I told yeah. you. I told you walking in the door today. Yeah. We do sports, and we also look at some pop culture. Yeah, no, I enjoyed I enjoyed Game of Thrones. Sad that it's over. That was a good like Sunday night ritual. Um, so now, what's your show? I'm sort of in between stuff right now. Um, you know, football season is hard for me to pick up a show. Yeah. Um, I've heard that Succession on HBO is really good. So I've, that's been that's been recommended by a few people. So I think I'm going to try to pick that up after the season. Um, I did enjoy Stranger Things as sort of an homage to when I was growing up. Um, I, there was a lot of stuff I was like, oh, yeah, I was nerdy like this. Um, so, yeah. Those what do you are, mean was? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's, I, But I haven't found the uh, the next Game of Thrones yet. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Grand Rapids native, best event or show you've ever been to at the Van Andel Arena? Uh, I have only been to one, and it was Neil Diamond. And wow! It was, it was the second show when Van Andel opened. Wow! I was a freshman in college. It was during Rush, and I skipped the third round of Rush to go see Neil Diamond. And people were like, "What are you doing? There is no way you are going to get into a house if you do this." Uh, ultimately, one house was like Neil Diamond. That's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> we'll take this guy. <laughs> So that that's the only time I've seen a show up there. I was up there last week. I saw Wilco at um, Monroe Live, like across the twenty street Monroe. From yeah, yep. um, that was awesome. Um, I had some a friend of mine is friends with Wilco's manager, so we got to go backstage after the show. Sweet. Jeff Tweedy did not come out, but the rest of the band did. Um, so that was that was pretty awesome. What? What? Uh, apparently, you're a fan of Wilco. Oh yeah. What? 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 Would you have in mind? What'd you say to him? What did you? Did you have anything in preparation? Like, if I get to meet these guys, <laughs> uh, just thanks. Like, I just just kind of a thank you. I really appreciate your work. Um, I was listening to some on the way over here, as I often am in the cars. I'm driving around, so yeah. I just that's kind of dad rock for forty two year old Pete Sampson with two kids. Um, have you ever heard I Wilco? Love- I've heard snippets. Yeah, I'm not. I've, it's a little bit angsty. Kind if you, of, give, kind if you of want to give him a song, Pete, what song should you go listen to? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I, California Stars is a, a fun sort of um, gateway song into Wilco. It's a little more upbeat okay. than a lot of his other stuff. Um, you know, Jesus, et cetera, is a, kind of like one of the perfect songs that right. I think he's put together. So, yeah, it's you can get in sort of the, you know, he's sort of in the great, they play the hits. Um, he's, still, some- he's still doing new stuff, and it's good, but um, the the hits are, are excellent. It'll give me something to drive Cosmo out of the office today <laughs> while I'm working go. on my Valpo chart. There you go. I feel good about this. I feel real good about oh, well, it. Well, we we've covered we've covered some ground. As you've noticed probably this is really an ADHD driven show <laughs> in that we just 
we throw stuff at the wall, and and we're glad that you had responses every time that we yeah. asked a question. <laughs> I try my best. Uh, la- last question for you. When you go through airports, are you ever confused with Scott Van Pelt? <laughs> uh, some people have made those comments before. Uh, I don't think I'm quite tall enough or skinny enough, yeah. but it's, uh, it's You're, it's you're there. fairly thin, my friend. It's there. Um, I think I need to – I like the, the clippers where I have like just a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. – Fuzz up there, not straight down to kind of the the, the blade, but it's it is a curve. I've I've got some Bob Montgomerys as well. Oh, over the years. I'm sorry. Um, I yeah. I see <laughs> and hear a little bit of Bill Hader's younger brother. <laughs> you ever gotten that? I have not gotten that. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep an eye. I'll have to do some research. Yeah, this. he's he's got the sound. Okay. He's got it down. Well, whatever the case, <laughs> you can read Mr. Sampson's work on the Athletic. Now you're going to have to pay to do that, but I think it's well worth it. You know, it's like they were pretty much have promotions nonstop for new subscribers. Yeah, you so never have to pay full price. The, so let's put it that the way. Um, if you're a, thinking about a new subscription, there forty percent off is pretty much happening all the time. Um, so that's thirty six bucks for the year. And I would say that our target audience is obviously people who co- like Notre Dame are great. Um, but if you like one other team, uh, that's when the value of it goes up and then or a variety of sports yeah, exactly i mean it's like they they expanded into the uk they have beat writers for all the europe like the european heavyweights liverpool included so i'm i'm like reading sort of college football playoff stuff followed by a story on liverpool followed um you know some of the longer form stories that uh the board man gets paid Kawhi leonard story okay went off like wildfire um you know there's there's some great interesting offbeat stuff um yeah, I remember there's a story about Mike Piazza owning a uh, Italian soccer team and driving it into the ground. Oh, and wow. It was like one of the, the best things that I read in the last year. So that they have a way of finding some really interesting stories in addition to sort of just coverage of your favorite teams. And and today's story by Pete, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, Navy SEAL who walks on at Notre Dame. That's amazing. Hasn't had a chance to play, but will be presenting the colors at Saturday's game. So well worth it. Thanks for taking some time for us. Thanks for having me, guys. You can always email us, the sports yap with two Ks at gmail.com. Hit the subscribe button so you'd never miss an episode. Until next time, Yak fans. Ooga Luga, Keith Hernandez. You've been listening to Sports Yak, brought to you by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events available at und.com slash buy tickets. And by Pyramid Equipment. Think Pyramid Equipment for your snowplow needs, sales, services, and installations of residential and commercial-grade snowplows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid offers military, police, and firemen's discounts. Find us, PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Everybody get out of here. There's a lobster loose. Oh, holy cow, he's loose.